Hi, and welcome to Zernona Clayton, the podcast. I'm your host, broadcast journalist, and also a family friend, Michelle Miller. And we'll hear from Ms. Clayton, or as I like to call her, Biggie, Big or the queen of the town. She is an incredible, wonderful, brilliant woman who for the last 93 years has been an activist, a civil rights visionary, and a broadcast media pioneer. Oh, what a life she's led. Can we get another interviewer? Can we get another interviewer? Oh, it's such a good Thank you, Dad. <laughs> well, why she's getting mics up? No, 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 so no, the first, no. So no, now no. I ask, is this a beginner's class to the ladies? No, no, no. Stuff? Take it from the start. Oh, come, no. on, come, take on, come on, come on, come on. Take it, take it from the top. You didn't obey me when you were little. You still yeah, don't I still obey don't. me. I yeah, still don't. I still don't. That was the most stubborn girl in the world. She had a mind of her own, and she didn't take no from anybody. <laughs> it used to make me so mad. She was hard to train. Does that remind you of someone? No, not me. <laughs> oh, she was stubborn. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know what? She had the audacity to, like, well, I'll, no, I'll say, no, you can't do so-and-so. Like, you can't go over there because we got some breakable items. Here's what she would do. She would do this. She would do this. <laughs> then look at, yeah, look at me. <laughs> at me and then take another step over, you know, <laughs> and then look at me next day, she's over there, you know. <laughs> oh, she was That's awful. <laughs> awful, oh awful, gosh. awful. You saw something you liked, though. There was something there you Oh, liked. I like, and the real serious thing is I liked everything about you. Mm. See, people just talk about, oh, how cute you were. Well, I didn't like your cuteness as much as I like your freshness. Your smartness, your, you know, I'm going to do this regardless, you know, and I'm going to out-slick you, I don't care what. I mean, and you felt like the one-upmanship or something you got to win. I said, well, me too. You know, I don't lose either, so come here. <laughs> you know, but you were the, a, among the best things in my life. Oh, Biggie, you thank were, you. You really were. The best things in my life uh, was spending time with you. And it was a challenge. Because you always said no. You know, it was always no. Will you do something? No. You know, will you get out of my face? No. <laughs> <laughs> will you let me sleep? Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> but you went to sleep anyway. Yeah. Oh, but, but seriously, I want you all to know that she was one of the best things in my life. And nary a picture in here to prove it. <laughs> well, so you didn't get in line. You know? <laughs> When you, when you grow up and be somebody, yeah, you I, put better, your yeah. I gotta be somebody. I have to be somebody. When you, when you get famous, like, yeah. When you get famous, we'll put you up in here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay, so well, let's talk about. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm so curious to know when you look at the expanse of the movement and equality. When you look at what's happening today, what comes through your mind? Where are we? Oh, I'm, I think now of Martin Luther King's fervor of analyzing where we are as people, blacks and whites. And he said, we've got to learn how to live together. I mean, he just wished he could just make it happen. And he just said, it's folly to dislike somebody based on color. 
because we had nothing to do with it. You know, we don't decide what to make ourselves when we head into this world. And so don't hate me and criticize me because I came here black. That doesn't make me bad. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person because that's what I work at being, uh, good, decent, and honest. So now I've come up with, even, and I think this is probably unwise planning all my life, but I'm going to be 93 this year. And here I am saying that before I leave here, I'm going to make Dr. King's wish for us as a people come true because I'm going to build five houses, one black, one white, one Native American, and so on. So five basic groups of people who are different from their births. It's going to be they're known as village and make everybody live next door to each other. And if I give them the house, they're going to live in it. And they'll probably figure out a way to get a cup of sugar from the neighbor next door, you know, or ask you to babysit my child who lives three doors down the street and make it happen. And maybe they'll start a trend. Now, some of that sounds like you're wishing for folly. Fairy tale. But that's what I want to do. Because I'd like to see that Dr. King didn't see it when he lived, but maybe I'll see it before I leave. Because we can't. I, I have the same fervor and, and wish for us as a people that we can do better about sharing life with each other. I think we can do a better job of it. Mm-hmm. I live on a street like that. Do you? Mm-hmm. I've lived on, in two neighborhoods just like that. The first in, well, both in New Jersey, but one was in Maplewood, New Jersey, and it was a cul-de-sac, and we had a Korean-American family next to a, a white family, next to a mixed family, across the street from a black family, a Catholic family, a Jewish family right on the other edge. I don't know about Native American there was an, or Hispanic American, but and now I live on a street to my right, Korean American who's married to a Chinese American, across the street, black, black folk, next door to black folk, next door to white folk, next door to an Indian American, next door to a mixed couple, across the street, another Indian American married to a white woman, and next door to me, a, a white couple. Uh, And there was a gay couple, two gay couples that lived on the block. So you have that in pockets, but you also have, you also have a time where it is magnified, the inequity, the injustice more than I have ever seen, because we have this technology, this phone that you can press a button and record it. And you see that. And I can't imagine being 90, almost three years old to go from segregation where you saw it, but no one acknowledged the inequity and injustice in it to fighting through it and gaining a sense of equality, at least on the books, to where you were recording, as you said, the first record of immense inhumanity we saw with the Rodney King beating. And so you have seen over and over again the injustice, the fear that is used as an excuse. We had in New York City a black man strangled on the subway by a 
former Marine in front of people. And he said he feared for his life because the man was speaking poorly to him. I mean, that's happening across this country. And I'm just, I can't imagine having worked toward what you have worked toward and then not thinking, where are we going? And I'm looking toward you, the eternal optimist, because I know that to be you, the doer, the overcomer. And I'm like, what is she thinking now? Where are we? My answer to you would be, well, we're a long way from where I'd like to see us become humanistic um, in our lifestyles and our actions. And sometimes, I wonder sometimes if I'm doing wishful thinking, but then I end up by saying, no, I'm okay. Um, If I want to make an artificial neighborhood, um, because that's what it would be maybe, but it would prove a point that we can. And I guess I'd like to, if I got to leave this world, I'd like to think that we change some of our stripes. You know, we could be better than where we are now. And maybe it'll never be perfect. And maybe we aren't designed to be a perfect uh, people. Uh, but I'd like to see us improve a little bit from where we are now. You know, to have hatred for a black person just because he's black just has no rationale, no pattern, no truth, no reality. It's unfair to that person and to you too. Um, And I guess I just want to be one of those do-gooders while I'm still living, that if I change one attitude, then maybe I can change another one, and then another one, then another one. And yet I know that I'm not the problem solver of the universe, and I can't change people's world. And I'm not trying to. I'd like to change the little part of it that encompasses the space I occupy that I'd love to see all of us be humanistic in our treatment to each other. I'd like to see more love around that we get rid of this bigotry that I saw what it did to Calvin Craig, the Grand Dragon. He was filled with hatred, and if you examine his countenance, you could see the ugliness in him. Now, maybe that was my jaundiced view, but because I knew who he was, and I knew he didn't like me because I was black. He just met me. It turned out he ended up loving me. And so I guess I've had examples of people can change, and everybody benefits. And so the realistic part is, yes, you can change. The unrealistic part of my life is you can't change everything. You can't solve all the problems of the world. My part is little, but... You add a little to the little to the little to the little, and after a while it becomes a big. That's me. (laughs) How appropriate. Uh How appropriate. I remember my mother saying one time, she was reprimanding us, of course, there's a price you pay for the life you live. She's been in glory a hundred years. I still remember that. When I tell people, if you rob a bank, you're supposed to wait for the police because they're coming to get you. You rob the bank, you're supposed to go to jail. And I looked at my 90 years, what have I been doing? So I started writing. I took 100 kids in California when I lived there. 
because President Kennedy said, we've got to do something about the school dropout problem. It's a huge problem. And I thought he was calling my name. He said, you can do something. He made it sound so personal. You can do something about that. The next morning, I got up going to the Urban League and tried to find out, is there a school problem here? He said, oh, yes, dropout problem. I ended up with 100 kids they gave me to deal with. Now, some of the problems that either solved, one had five girls in the family, and when they get up, and they didn't have enough rollers to go around, so people had to wait. And the last one, now late for school, and she said, oh, I'm not going to go to school today. And that kind of precipitated, you know, going to school. Well, that was easy to solve. I just went to Walgreens, bought enough curls for all of them. That solved that problem. Then the guy who says, you know, I don't have no good clothes. My, all my clothes got holes in them. Okay. I went to a merchant and said, listen, I'm working with some kids, and if they don't get clothes, they can't go to school. They're embarrassed that other kids don't have holes in theirs. they got holes in theirs. Got clothes for them. So I clothed the ones that needed clothing. So the simple problems I solved immediately. The other ones were more difficult because I had a quarter of boys who were just wrongdoers. So I'm 4'11", and I love being 4 feet 11 because I was the shortest person in the class, and then I was always First, I've always wanted to be first. That's my competitive spirit in me. Just, I want to win. So now these are the boys who are causing all the trouble. So that's different than clothing them and feeding them and all that. And so the little boy who was the leader of the gang was four feet 11. So he loved me because we were the same height. All the other boys were tall. He's 4'11" but so am I, so now he's in love with me. The police would see us stand on the corner talking because I'm trying to find out, what do you all do? Why don't you go to school? You know, they're doing dirty work. And I, oh, my goodness. The police would always come, miss, are you okay? Because we, we will retrieve you. You know, I'm not old. This is my friend. Mm-hmm. And he loved that. And there's something about us. We clicked the first day we met. I said, you know, I'd like to meet your parents. You have mother and father? And he said, yes. I'd like to meet them. Now, I prejudged in my thinking that I bet he's got the problem at home that he can't deal with. And I was right. When I did go to visit them, he told the mother he'd met this nice lady. But I was right. She was domineering. And they had three children in the family. Instead of saying, hello, and did you have a good day? She said, Get in there and take them clothes off. I want you to hang them clothes off. Next child come in, she didn't say good evening. Go, oh, what you going in there? No, just boring folk. And the husband was sitting there not saying anything. Now, I was a self-appointed psychiatrist, you know, so <laughs> I took over in my mind, oh, that's what's wrong with that boy. He, does, he wants his dad to speak up, you know. And so then but I said, Barry, what do you all do when you gather? He said, well, we have a meeting. And I said, oh, I ought to go to one of your meetings. He fell out laughing. I said, I'm serious. I'll go to one of your meetings. Well, I used to lament the fact that I didn't have children. But I realized then after this project, I realized it's okay not to have children because I'd have had children, and they meet at 10 o'clock at night. I couldn't be no mother out in the streets at 10 o'clock at night with some boy, wayward boys. But I'd go to his meetings, and the first night I went, 
Barry said, and he felt like the big boy now because he done brought me. And he, and he said, she's slick. Oh, they, so the boys like me. So do you know he pulled out this piece of paper, which was the agenda. And I said, Barry, do you realize that that's your agenda? He said, yeah, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. I said, they don't have a meeting without an agenda. Mm. So I want you to now think with me. Do you know how much money they make? You know, all them people at General Motors are big earners. And you could be head of General Motors, but this kind of operation, you control these boys. <laughs> you got, got it written up on paper. You're organized. You can go to Detroit. And so I put big things in his mind, like, you need to be in Detroit. And he loved me. But I could tell he was smitten with me, but I wouldn't succumb to any of that. But it didn't matter as long as I was winning him over because he believed in me. When we got through, I said, I want to read about you and all your membership here. I'm not going to be happy till I read about you all on your way to Detroit. You know, and I started using General Motors as my example because I said, you know, they make these cars that all you boys are doing now. So that's some big money in Detroit with them car makers. You could be one of those. And I put it in his head, put it in his head, all of my little boys. Do you know when I got through... Those 100 kids that I started off with, I ended up with 82 of them back in school. Mm. I'm no psychiatrist. No, I didn't go to school to learn how you outsmart folk. I just solved a problem that, in some cases, were simple problems to solve. I went to Walgreens and got them curlers. And now the girl, all five of them girls could put their hair up. Because they wanted to look good yes. when they left the oh, house. Oh, it was important. They were like seventh, eighth graders, you know, like that. They were at the point of they want to look cute. But as the problem got bigger, then I found go to another source to solve this phase of my problem. Now, when I look at my record, and this is what I'm doing, I'm keeping on my record, my 90-year-old record. 82 kids, I don't care what it is, 82 out of 100 is masterful victory. And let me tell you about a victory. Once you have one, it's like people playing ball. When they hit that home run, they're going to try to hit another one. They're going to try to hit another one. And you keep on going to you win. So you've been a creator of many things. Yes. Trumpet Awards. But you also wanted to leave something behind. Literally, you wanted to breathe life into the footprints of the legends that are all around us. Oh, I get excited listening to it. Yes, yes, yes. But let me tell you what that does for me. That's one of my favorite projects. In these shoes or feet of men and women who walked in the path of goodness, greatness, and in some cases, sadness, But these people, in spite of that, ended up on the upper part doing something good for others. They left their footprints behind because they're reflecting and representing the goodness of what part of life they played when they lived here. They don't have to be deceased, act like they're all dead, but I use as an example sometimes Mrs. Lyndon Johnson, the wife of our president, 
When I sent for her shoes or wrote her a letter, and she had just remembered, remember she had a stroke or something and couldn't speak for a while. And so when the letter came, they said she just broke down and cried because the lady who was assisting her at home, they could communicate with each other, and she was crying. And through the communication, she said to her secretary, the lady who was helping her, she said, answer this letter for me. And the answer is yes, she can have the shoes. And how happy she was that all the things, everybody in the world will know my husband was president. Very few of them will know his issue on civil rights. So send the shoes. So I now have, you know, President Johnson's shoes. And I think about, you know, we have now hundreds, hundreds of footprints. Sidney Poitier cried so long we had to do his take over and over and over again. He just said of all the things he had done, you could see his movies, you could hear the stories of his life, but now these were the actual feet who are part of his body who walked from this struggle in the earlier years. We have a treasure in these footprints because you take the shoes and then you imagine the feet fit in those shoes and then you go up to a man's heart and his mind and you think, boy, did he make a difference? Did he walk the path of ingenuity and help for others? Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked and doing the things that really help to make mankind and humankind better because if the people we shoes of people who've done something, not just wore some shoes, but in those shoes, there were feet belonged to men and women who really tried and successfully made a difference in their lives and benefited all of us. I'll never forget coming back from that first LA event that you had where you showcased those snippets it was like the world opened up to me, and I went I out told and got... Her. See, look, that's one thing that I kind of wish people knew. This is the one selfish moment that I have for, my, for me. Nobody was doing minutes. Right. Am I right? She worked with me at the time. Nobody. And when I told Ted Turner that's what I want to do, I said, you know, just a minute a day, we started, we, meaning CNN, he's from CNN, CNN started doing... Black History Moments, Minutes, they call it. And now everybody, I, I don't do it anymore, but everybody does it now. And you get a, a history lesson quickly, quickly. But that became, when Black History Month comes, you're going to hear everybody doing those minutes, you know. And I don't think anybody knows, not because we never publicized the fact that, I, I mean, I don't get personal stuff, but... I am jealous of that because that is just what everybody uses now, you know. And, uh, you know, white newspapers and everybody, you know. And, uh, you know, I did that. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the one I'm thing. Gonna, I'm going to stand up and take a bow, you know, but ain't nobody looking. <laughs> We're looking. We're looking now. Thank you for joining us for our special podcast series with the incomparable Zernona Clayton. 
This has been Zernona Clayton, the podcast, a production of Boom Integrated and DA Brand Activation Group. Our podcast is executive produced by Naima Rashad, Dennis Adamovich, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai, with post-production by Boom. I'm Michelle Miller, your host. Thanks so much for listening. And don't miss the documentary, Zenona Clayton, A Life in Black and White. Available anytime on Brown Sugar, Bounce TV's subscription video on demand service. Download the Brown Sugar app today on your phone, PC, or smart TV. Go to brownsugar.com for more information.